Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. ARCHICAD is the official BIM software of the Entree Architect community. ARCHICAD BIM software enables design, collaboration, visualization, and project delivery no matter the project size or complexity. With flexible licensing options and a dedicated support team to guide us along the way, ARCHICAD is an ideal choice for firms and projects of any size. I encourage you to reach out and talk to the folks at Graphisoft by visiting our own dedicated webpage at graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. There's even an exclusive special offer waiting for our Entree Architect community. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioned to help make your architecture firm a success. That's graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Erin Pellegrino is a strategist, designer, and registered architect with a decade of experience in the fields of design, business development, and creative consulting. She currently works as the founder and principal of Matter, a design firm that solves problems that span from brand and digital experiences to the built environment. And Jake Rudin, who's also with us, is a strategic thinker and a designer with a decade of experience in building things from the ground up. At Adidas, he leads teams 
in computational design, digital technologies, and pattern engineering. He's worked around the world as a designer for top architecture and design firms, and he's taught extensively in the architecture and design fields. And together, Aaron and Jake run Out of Architecture, a career consulting firm helping architects and designers apply their incredible talents in uncon unconventional and untraditional ways. And they are the co-authors of the new book of the same name, Out of Architecture, The Value of Architects Beyond Traditional Practice. And I am so excited about this conversation because I am so excited about that topic, about talking about architects beyond the traditional practice. Erin and Jake, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. We're looking forward to it as well. Thank you, Mark. So let's start with you. Before we jump into that conversation, I want to know more about each of you. Erin, go back to where you discovered your passion for what you do uh, and maybe talk a little bit about who or what inspired you to get started. Sure. Um, so when did I know I I liked making things? It was probably when my my parents started hiding tape from me at three <laughs> or four years old because I would just be putting random things together. Um, no, I I grew up around a, a bunch of makers, uh, you know, lower lower and middle class makers. But um, my grandmother was a dressmaker uh, and worked her way up in the in the fashion industry, um, and I I'm the product of tradespeople, um, electricians, you know, riggers, things like that. And I I always grew up around this notion of if you wanted something, you could probably make it, um, even if we couldn't afford to buy it, um, which was always really inspiring and and probably also cultivated this personality I have where it's just, let's just dive in and figure it out as we go, um, which I did not realize made me really well-suited for for architecture. But I do think that's one of the great strengths of, of many architects, um, particularly the ones that are, are willing to take on a lot of, of unknowns, which I think is what the design process is. Um, in the in the process of, of narrowing down to to architecture as a, as a major. So I, I went as a 17 year old to a professional degree. I was the first person in my family to go to college. So I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and I just remember being incredibly excited by this idea that I could I could make be in a major where I could make things all day. I, I love to draw. I went to a, an arts ish high school. Um, but at one point during my time in high school, I had this fantastic physics teacher who just taught us the, you know, the forces of the world, literal, you know, literal gravity and Newton, Newtonian physics and all of that. And one day I literally Googled architecture and graphic design and I landed, or sorry, not architecture and graphic design, physics and graphic design. And an architecture program came up at Pratt. Um, I cobbled together some birthday money and, and took a course at Pratt, fell in love with it uh, as a junior in high school and applied to architecture schools, knew, knowing that that's what I wanted to do, was lucky enough to get into Cornell. And from then on, just was completely in love with the the education, the the rigor. For the first time, I wasn't bored in school. I could always find ways to keep myself busy. And a key person there was a mentor that I think Jake and I both share, um, who ran our wood shop and just taught us how to how to teach people how to learn to do dangerous things safely how to do those things in a way that really you know cultivate your mind um and push the design process and i was just seduced with that uh as a as a process and a way of working uh moving forward um it cultivated also bad habits you know staying up all night and wanting to wanting to chase your passions um but i i fell head over heels uh in love with architecture at that from that point on 
Awesome. A fantastic story. I love that. It, it, similar, I have similar parallels. I have similar yeah. background in family and uh, similar, similar path. Jake, what's your story? Yeah, it's certainly um, maybe more circuitous than than Aaron's is. I think hers is a very logical trajectory, but um, I didn't find out until late in my, uh, you know, architectural education that um, there is some genetic uh, architecture in the family. I've got plenty of, uh, you know, great uncles and great grandparents and so on who are in, in the design uh, industry. And But I grew up um, with... Uh, parents who did two totally different things. Uh, my mom is a registered nurse practitioner and always supported and, and helped people and was always invested in, in seeing people get uh, get better, uh, invested in, in wellness and just uh, in doing good. Um, and my father, who is also invested in doing good, but not professionally, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's, um, he's an audio recording engineer and he, um, you know, uh, introduced me to music as a very, at a very young age. I grew up sitting, um, you know, rolling pool balls around on the pool table at the studio late into the evening and, um, you know, got in front of a microphone probably very first when I was like three or four months old, you know, and, and it's, uh, it was always front and center that, that maybe I would somehow be involved in, in music. So I learned to play the violin and the trumpet and guitar and, um, you know, did uh, voiceover recording as a, uh, as a you know young adult and then i had this realization at one point um you know looking up on the the awards shelf at the house and uh thought you know there's not really a good reason to compete with my father um and <laughs> and so i thought look i need to do something that um that i can be really good at um and we spent a lot of time outside growing up and i spent a lot of time being exposed to nature and and i kind of fell in love with the design of gardens so I thought I would be a landscaper. Um, I, you know, grew up in a in a pretty middle class um, household, and and sort of knew that there were some some requirements that I wanted to meet in terms of salary and so on. And so when I looked up the the salary of a landscaper, um, that really didn't meet those those requirements. So the next thing I found was a landscape architect. I thought this is really interesting and. Um, the salary requirements weren't too much better, but it was an interesting <laughs> confluence of, of design and nature. Um, and as I started to explore these programs, um, you know, I was drawn closer and closer to the architecture side of, of landscape architect and ended up doing a summer program at Cornell University, where I went for my undergraduate degree, where actually both Aaron and I went, um, and was immediately enamored with this idea that an architect was someone who can see the world in a completely different way, who can take things apart with their eyes, through drawing, through modeling, can build things back up, can understand that, you know, the method of making something is almost as important as the result. And the way of getting to that end result can create so much joy that the final object you know, may or may not even convey, right? And that the process was so interesting. Um, I had, you know, had this exposure to objects throughout the course of my uh, young life. Um, and after this program, went back home and uh, built a guitar with my with my father. And and that act of, of making really kind of set in motion. Also my love of building things, whether it's furniture or buildings or now footwear. Um, 
I have sort of matriculated beyond, um, you know, what, where I thought I would be in, in my career. Um, I went to, through a traditional architecture study, decided that through a series of uh, events that, you know, traditional practice uh, was not for me, um, partly because I was interested in such a wide variety of things um, that I wanted to really explore that didn't necessarily fall neatly into what a lot of firms told me uh, an architect was supposed to be focused on. So through some, you know, interesting opportunities to work at a young startup um, and then move out to the West Coast, I ended up landing a, a role where I am currently uh, working full-time at Adidas, uh, where I run those teams that you so aptly mentioned in computational design and exploring materiality and product manufacturing and all kinds of things that um, has a lot to do with uh, what what I feel I took away from the architectural education that, that I was so fortunate to have. So that's how I found what I'm doing now. So how did you find each other and how did Out of Architecture, how was that born? We have oh, been man. very well, those good are two different stories. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is. They're very different stories, but um, we talk over each other and we're very comfortable doing that because we've been friends <laughs> for a very long time. We um, started not liking each other, in fact, and um, and butted heads because we're very different kinds of people. Um, yeah, but from through, very different places. Yeah. Erin <laughs> uh, so. is, is from Jersey and I'm from Nashville. <laughs> and so... Yeah my propensity to say hi and make eye contact um, <laughs> makes me a real threat in, uh, yes. in on the East Coast, uh, yes. especially in, in New England. Um, but we we met um, in school. We were in the same architecture class. Um, and in first year, obviously, you were all thrown into the mixer together. We were both very independent. We ended up uh, both really enjoying our time in the wood shop, so we we uh, interacted quite a bit. But we really became friends in uh, what was kind of our first small business, which was developing this dragon for Dragon Day at Cornell, which is a fifty foot long, enormous structure. Um, and Aaron was the co president, and I was responsible for sort of the construction management. And the reason I say it's a small business is because you're given the semester to sort of build finances through the sales of t-shirts, which have a graphic that design, design that, yep, that, that represents the, the dragon that's coming. And then you have a week to build uh, this sort of end product and then to market and showcase it in a, in a parade essentially around the university. What a fantastic um, idea. I've never heard of that. That's a great idea. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. I think it's a really great like team building exercise too. Yeah. I think one of the main reasons that Jake and I became such close friends is because we had a common enemy. So we were the first year that we were told <laughs> the students couldn't burn the dragon, whereas every year prior they'd been able to burn. And we were just like, we bonded over the fact that you really just can't tell us no. This yeah, has been a recurring yeah. theme. <laughs> um, but uh we were then learned how to lobby stakeholders, how to build coalitions in your year and above years. And yeah, it was, it was a big, a big lesson in, in, in politics and stakeholder management and client management in, in fundraising and dealing with budgets uh, as well as building and parading around this, um this giant dragon. Did you burn it? 
We got to burn a part of it. <laughs> so compromised. Not the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> also a lesson in compromise. Exactly. Yeah. Our first lesson in negotiation. <laughs> that's funny. So so that's that's a great, great story. First of all, before we get into the birth of Out of Architecture, where in New Jersey did you grow up? I grew up in Freehold, New Jersey, which your listeners will only know if they are Bruce Springsteen's fans, because that's the only thing that we're famous for, except malls. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in Paramus. That's why I asked. Bergen County. Ah, okay. I was just yep. in Paramus this weekend. Yep. I have family in yep. Waldwick. So. My mom and dad are still there. Uh, well, actually, they have a house there. Now they're, they're nomads. They go all over the place. But they, they check back in Paramus every once in a while. So, nice. so out of architecture is a consulting firm. So, how did you get from arguing over burn dragons and not liking one another to starting a business <laughs> that helps other architects and designers find their way? Um, yeah. So we we joke that we were each other's first clients as well as um, close friends and and even Jake's wife. I think a couple of things would would be a common thread here. One, we were always uh, complaining about. Uh, things that we didn't like or being told no or things that we were just seeing didn't feel right or sit right with us. Um, we were also incredibly passionate about the things we really liked to do. And when we saw opportunities to do that, I think we would constantly knowledge share and, and skill share and, and figure out how we could do more of that. Um, and I think I credit you know, a lot of my early career, and I would, I, I think and hope Jake would say the same, that having this back and forth and being able to have a confidant and a sort of a co, co-conspirator in how, how we designed our careers, even though they're different, um, really helped us to hone, one, how meaningful that support is. Um, I think there are aspects of the architectural education that are are rightfully lonely. You have to kind of toil and, and figure things out. But um, that loneliness can really also often lead to insecurity. And um, especially at the age I think we went to school, you know, it can translate into not taking certain chances or only following a certain path. And I think we really encourage that for, for one another in our immediate group. Um, but as it as it became something that we got more and more comfortable with. We got further into our careers. Jake went to work for Adidas. I started my own thing. People started to come to us just for unsolicited advice. Um, they would reach out to to Jake on LinkedIn or at the time I was also teaching and I'd have people be like, how are you, how are you doing what you're doing? How did you, you know, how did you start working uh, immediately with your hands? Things like that. And Jake and I, even though being on opposite coasts at that point were we're always really good friends and, and we're always in touch. And one day Jake gave me a call and was just like, look, you know, we did this thing together with one for one friend. Um, and I've gotten a ton of messages about this on LinkedIn. I know you reached out to talk to me about these students. Like, this is a thing. Like people, mm -hmm. people need this. And he's like, I think we should, we should make it a business and I have the perfect name for it. And I was like, <laughs> go for it. And he's like, out of architecture. And that can have two meanings. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's for the people who want to get like, ah, get me out of architecture, but also, you know, what you get out of it. Right. And I was like, I'm sold. And within a couple of hours, uh, I had a logo and we started putting together a website and that's where out of architecture was born. When was that? When did, when did the conversation happen and when did the actual decision early, to turn it into a firm? Early 2018. Yeah, okay. yeah, was so it was like sort of fourth or something. Yeah, it was sort of a same day, um, you know, decision, but one that had been building for many years. And I think 
hopefully your listeners, um, you know, and uh, I will, I will say, go back 10 minutes, you know, listen to the way that we talk about our early experiences and think about the translation of those skills. I mean, Aaron talked about stakeholder management, you know, I'm talking about conflict resolution. We're talking about the way that architects look at and solve problems and so on. We have a great respect for architects and architecturally trained individuals. Um, there is, however, a huge disconnect that we both experienced between academia and the profession of architecture, at least as it's practiced in a pretty large number of firms. Now, I would say that some of your individual practitioners might take issue with that, but that's because they may have control over every aspect of the work that they do. Um, sometimes they might not like that, but that's the way it is when you run your own firm. Um, however, when you're uh, you know, a young recent graduate and you're coming out, uh, having been trained to be the next architect, and you go and sit down and begin the process of learning again from scratch, sort of the technical minutia of architecture, it's a very jarring moment. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, in conversations with, um, with other professionals, it's pretty apparent that most architects have this moment and it could be right at the start of their careers or it could be five years or 25 years in where they say, why am I doing this? And we ask our clients that question up front and push for that answer to be because not only do I love it, but I get value from it. And that value could not only be compensation, which is hugely important and architects don't talk about money enough. And I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of being invited to be a part of this podcast. I know that our Entree Architect community does talk about finances and money right. and the business of architecture, but when you're, um, you know, a part of a large firm, that's not necessarily made transparent to you as an employee. But there's other kinds of value. And that value could be the passion that architects talk about, uh, you know, so frequently. Um, but I think the more we get into this question with clients, the more that they realize it's not necessarily just architecture, capital A architecture that creates that passion. Sometimes it's a specific element and even more so it could be a specific task or skill or series of interactions. For example, many architects love to be busy in a sort of multivalent career. They loved that feeling of being in studio, touching a model, doing a rendering, you know, getting to work on a drawing, running across the street to investigate a site or to take photos or whatever it is. I mean, sometimes it's just the fact that they were doing all of those things at once. And when you go into a project that's five years long, maybe you lose some of that, right? Maybe if you're deeply embedded in CA for months and months and months at a time, that's not the same kind of satisfaction. And to pull away those... Um, those sort of long-lived assumptions is a big part of what we do at Out of Architecture. Yeah, and, and a very important role, I think. I, you know, the the traditional architectural education teaches architects to become a very specific traditional architect, right? And um, architects come out of architecture school, like you said, and very often and almost always have a realization that it's not what they expected. Right. And some of them find their happiness there. 
right? And should continue to practice that way, build their own firms, work for other firms, whatever it is. But there is a there is a, a, a very large percentage of architects that should not be traditional architects. They should be doing something else. They should be taking those skills, those problem solving skills and and the talents that they have as architects and apply them to other things that they're more passionate about or more um, inspired to do and have a bigger impact on the world. And not only does it help the architect themselves, but it helps our society, right? The more architects are involved in other things other than traditional architecture and remain quote unquote architects, because I don't think that you have to be a practicing traditional architect to re retain the, the title architect, um, the better the better our world will be, the more architects that are out doing other things beyond traditional architecture. And I know that you agree, you, you're building a, a firm on it. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Arcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered, and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, aka CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by Arcat. Listen and subscribe right now at arcat.com slash podcast. That's arcat.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. What does the future look like for architects in the architectural profession because of that? I mean, I think we we couldn't agree more. Um, one of the things I realized uh, pretty early on is that architecture can't save the world, but I do think architects can. You know, I, I do think Agreed. the education we get, and I'm biased, is just the best possible education you can get with the exception of really a solid business foundation because <laughs> it's the way we interface with society in order to have the agency that we are skilled to to embrace right um i think it's hard to say what for me at least the future will look like but my hope for it is that simply by having conversations like these not only can you design a career or how the type of architect one wants to be with the skills you get as being an architect, but that we can also collectively design the profession or redesign the profession or modernize no. the profession. I agree with you that, you know, there's going to be no, no, no uh, reduction in the need for traditional architects who right. solve 
problems that are are inherently somewhat traditional, but problems of the built environment. And that will change and transform over time. But there will always be a core subsect, I hope, of, of thinkers and, and, and architects who are involved in that conversation. But the world and the society around us is becoming, you know, uh, so globalized and so different. It's hard to even say there are certain jobs that people born now will have, you know, 15, 20 years from now that don't exist right now. And right. that to me is really exciting. And in order to plan for that, I think we need people who know how to ideate and make something out of nothing. And that's what architects are trained to do, right? Whether it's a building or a shoe or, you know, a workplace strategy, right? I think that skill set is so incredibly useful. But if we educate people and only say, this is with what with what you just learned, this is what you go do. It feels really limited um, and unnecessarily limited, especially when the the practice and and the field is get becoming more diverse, has different needs, and frankly, I think can can stand to gain a little bit more agency in society that extends beyond you know stamping drawings, which for some people may be the ultimate goal, right. um, but for others it's it's you know utilizing these skill sets in ways that give them you know the most satisfaction and, and allow them to have the most agency. We're living at a time that technology allows us those opportunities as well, right that that 20 years ago uh, and when an architect chose to be an architect, you became an architect and that's what you did. And you worked at a firm or you started your own firm. Today, there are dozens or maybe hundreds of opportunities for architects uh, to do other things other than that traditional architecture. Um, I actually see it as survival of the profession that if, that if we don't start thinking that way, and I think that the existing generation is already thinking that way and the the future generation that's coming is doing that natively, right? They're thinking that way already before they even get here. Um, that if we don't, if the profession doesn't shift and embrace that idea and that mindset uh, and start embracing the technology that allows all of that, then architects and architecture as a profession goes away and other things fill the gap. I would love to see architecture go on the offensive yes. a little bit around this. I feel that, um, you know, I hear a lot of complaining from architects that, you know, contractors are doing what architects used to do. Developers are doing what architects used to do. Specialists, you know, the consultants, engineers and so on. And yet I've seen this in action. Um, and actually, Aaron and I briefly taught during grad school at this phenomenal uh, company, this phenomenal education institution called New View in Boston. That was very much architecture going out and employing the education of young people, or rather employing studio methodology in the education of young people. Um, it's a grade eight through 12 um, private education program that uh, schools in, uh, in Boston would send students to for a couple of weeks at a time, six weeks. And in two-week studio increments, they would teach these very young, very energetic students the design of cities or the, the, the design of fashion or allow them to play and experiment in uh, the creation of monsters or machines or whatever it was. But it felt exactly like Architecture Studio. And it was actually created and built by MIT architecture PhD graduates who thought this is 
this is an incredible way of thinking that we should apply into other parts of the world. If architects could reclaim in some ways that ability to call themselves, you know, the expert generalists, right? The people who can solve a myriad number of problems, I think they would be in a better place, not only because of the perception and marketing is a huge piece of maintaining a successful practice or successful industry. But I also think that they would be in a more satisfied place creatively. Um, I recently stumbled onto the fact that um, a local practice here in in Portland, Oregon, Allied Works, um, has now developed some sort of subsidiaries. So there's Allied Form Works and Allied Info Works. And it's a you know, a very intriguing thing to see them branch into these other, you know, areas, which might be more web and graphics and so on, or furniture, product design. But I could very easily point to Erin and say that she's been doing that (laughs) even longer um, under this guise of an architect who is just a designer, is just a strategic thinker, and that that can be applied in so many places. And when you read our bios, I noticed they sounded eerily similar and it could be because we're both friends because we're both the same you know um, age or we have shared experiences but it's also the fact that we appreciate and enjoy the ability to play in a variety of spaces and so we appear to many people as sort of non-expert designers and yet i'm very proud to call myself an architecturally trained expert generalist because it allows me to feel at home talking about footwear, talking to a startup about their plan for releasing a physical product or a digital offering to go out to my wife's vineyard. She is also a recovering architect who now produces wine and to feel like we can problem solve about the layout of the tasting room or that she can easily tackle the branding and the label design for her wine. It is a phenomenal skill set. And I think to isolate it just to the built environment, which is a very big problem, um, you know, is also at the detriment of allowing architecture out into the rest of the world. And I totally agree. I think, you know, the only thing, uh, the only pushback we've gotten recently that I think is interesting to, to think about as well is obviously the the title architect is a protected title. And I think there's reasons for that. Um, That's exactly but, where I want to go. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. So we're doing the, <laughs> the, the transition well, but I also think that part of that, there's like an intrigue and a mystery around the title. And, and I'm proud to, to, to be an architect. I fought really hard for it. Um, I have a lot of, of issues with the licensure process. Um, but I also think, we're not capitalizing. If we talk about, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, this idea of like taking a more active approach and a more active role and going on the offensive, a lot of people do not know what architects do, right? I still get questions around things like blueprints because that is apparently the last time our, right. our PR world has has really educated people on on what we do. And, you know, I'm, I'm 31 for full transparency. I've never seen a set of blueprints, right? I'm sure they exist somewhere in society, but no. So I think part of this is really also taking some ownership around no this title yes it should still be protected obviously we're we're dealing with um people's lives and health safety and general welfare of the public right but 
we are missing out on an opportunity for people to really understand society at large, to understand who we are, what we do and the value that we bring. And you can do that on an individual basis. And and I love talking to people about, you know, you're an architect, but you can also make websites. And a lot of the time this, this goes dovetails into the work that we're doing. Um, and you can also talk about how we're going to deal with fundraising and stuff. It's like, yeah, because I have a unique set of skills based on this education that I got, as well as, you know, the way the, the profession is set up that I was able to hone all of these different skill sets um, and have a network that also has, you know, equally different but useful skill sets. And I can translate that into an idea that starts at from nothing into something. We don't do a good job collectively really explaining the problems that architects solve and the critical thinking and the creativity. Um, I think we live behind this air of, of mystery, which is is cool and exciting, but it was like cool and exciting for me for like nine months. Like, yeah, I'm an architect. Right. Then what? Right. It's like dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So yeah, that that's kind of where, where I land on that. I think that the title of the, of, of architect, right. Is something like you said, you even used the words I fought hard for that, right. That, that that's something that architects often say. Um, and I think that's a barrier to them moving out of architecture because they do work so hard to become an architect and they go through the licensing process and they become an architect or even not going through the licensing process, it's still difficult to get to that level. And to even consider leaving quote unquote architecture is is part of the problem. They're afraid to lose their identity as architects. And I think that is such a, 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 a detriment to the profession that there are architects who should be doing something else, making the world better through the skills they have, and they don't do it because they don't want to lose the title. Right. And, and I hear that all the time. And that's so for me, I, you know, I, yes, we should protect the, 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 the reason behind the, the protection of the word. But I have, I would much prefer registered architect or licensed architect to be the one that's protected. And those are the people who are out there protecting us in terms of building, building buildings with life safety. But the term architect should be the, the label of people who go through the architectural education. And those people are architects, whether they're licensed or not, whether they are practicing architecture or not. I haven't practiced architecture in three years. I am an architect. I will always be an architect. Technically, I am a licensed architect. I still am licensed, but I will be licensed. I will be an architect to the day I die. I worked really hard at it. I identify as an architect and I will always have the, the, the skills and the talents of an architect. And, and I'm applying that to the things I do every single day. Um, and I think that needs to change with, with that argument over the title. I wish that, uh, I had an applause soundtrack <laughs> to, to play right now because I'm uh, so vehemently in line uh, with what you just said. And, and Aaron and I gave a name to that phenomenon, the feeling that you, what are you, if not an architect? And we call it the noun crisis. We actually um, published uh, an article in Arc Daily not so long ago um, on this subject. And it's really devastating. Um, I I think, you know, Aaron is speaking uh, partly from this recent experience where I challenged someone who who sort of came after um, the, the out of architecture community and said, look, you know, you're not 
architects. Um, you know, you, and for, for me, it's, it's absolutely true because I have never been licensed, will never be licensed, but I feel like an architect and I feel that it's really important to allow that term to live in another way. And I love your distinction between a registered architect or a practicing architect and, you know, what could be an architecturally trained designer or an architectural designer or so on. When I had this conversation with this individual, uh, he said, look, you know, at the end of the day, I take on the liability. I have to pay insurance for that title. I practice, you know, and for someone to design spaces or buildings without that title hurts me financially. And I said, that's really interesting. Um, why don't we put more value on that burden? Why don't you put more value on that title? And he said, well, that's a good question. Uh, he said, you know, I think that, you know, for me, I, I kind of assume that the client's going to understand that, but they don't, you know, and we haven't done a good job communicating that value. I said, okay, well then why stay? Why are you still an architect when you say so clearly that you could leave, go work for a developer, you could go take investor money from a VC and start your own startup and perhaps, you know, do whatever kind of, you know, flippant design you so, you so vehemently oppose. And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, you'd be a great client <laughs> out of architecture, but, but, um, and he said, don't count me out. So I think it's interesting that we push so hard that we fight so vehemently for these titles. And yet, we don't really think deeply about what we're getting out of our own profession, right? What we're getting out of architecture. And I am completely in agreement with you that I think um, worrying about that rather than worrying about communicating the real value that we bring to the world is a huge yeah. problem. We should not be arguing against one another. We should be supporting each other. And I left the conversation with this person telling him, look, when I go and, and wander around the halls of uh, Adidas and tell people that I was trained in architecture, the impact that that has when they go to work with a licensed architect yes. is huge. Because when they see me producing beautiful, innovative, strong selling footwear products in an environment like this, and they value my skills, they go to the next architect licensed or not, and they have a different opinion of that person and of the background that we all share. And I think that's really yeah. powerful. The, our, the profession has a lot of work to do, obviously. Um, the brand architect has a tremendous amount of work to do. It is not the AIA's responsibility to do that, just for everybody out there who's complaining that AIA is not doing their job. That's an individual architect's responsibility. That is the thousands of architects, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of architects who are out there. That's their individual jobs. We should all be telling the story of what we do as architects. And that cumulative story will start fixing the brand of what architects do uh, and start solving that problem. Um, standing around and waiting for that to happen by somebody else is not the answer for that. No, not at all. Completely agree. And this is an interesting place for us to bring up um, this book that you mentioned, because, um, you know, it wouldn't be a good uh, 
it wouldn't be a good product shill if it didn't have a good segue. <laughs> um, and I think, uh, you know, for those of you who are thinking that the book is in some way um, a how-to guide for leaving architecture, uh, it's not. It's a bit of a disappointed love letter. Um, and the very first uh, section of the book is this reinvigoration, this falling back in love with uh, with the the profession through through some of these stories that we've been telling through Dragon Day, through late nights in studio, through our first interactions with real clients and so on. Um, and I encourage skeptical architects who are listening to this podcast to pick up a copy, um, either you know the audiobook on Audible for those of you who enjoy listening to things, or um, or a physical book for those of you who are object fetishists like myself, um, you know, and need to have something physical in hand. But it also addresses uh, a number of these issues, and I think uh, the you know the first and and second sections of the book are really about what it means to gain those skills and what it means to be um, challenged in a work environment with how you apply those skills um, and, and some problems that are existing within the profession. And I think highlighting those is not so much, um, you know, to highlight our disappointment with architecture as it is to encourage architects to begin, you know, figuring out new ways of practicing that solve those problems. Um, and for those of you that feel, you know, personally that you could make a bigger impact elsewhere, there are also stories in there of clients who have made the transition from various stages in their careers in architecture to other incredible professions, um, whether it's, you know, work in tech or work in fashion or work in management consulting or design consulting or uh, whatever it may be. So I, I want to I want to make that clear that, um, you know, this is also an opportunity for people to revisit that passion and also to kind of find that spark that might set them, uh, you know, vehemently towards answering some of these questions. Does the book give a process on how to do this, right? If, you, if I'm an architect, I've gone through the process, I have this dream of doing something beyond architecture or out of architecture, does the book give you a process on how do I do that? So the book operates a bit from like a case study method. Um, what we tend to do is lean on the fact that everyone's everyone's process is going to be different because everyone's mm -hmm. career is different. So what we tried to do was showcase five different archetypes because we we amalgamated clients kind of into one one to anonymize them but two to make each story yeah. rich enough to understand that and we tried to pick a person at you know kind of very early career early mid mid late and then senior right like looking at essentially everyone at, at different points now that's not to say because our earlier career folks go into fashion and and tech and and whatnot that's not to say that that's only for people who are just graduating from school but rather to look at some of the things that they grapple with, what their skills are, at least in these, again, anonymized and amalgamated uh, clients, um, but also what they needed to do at each various stage for themselves. Um, sometimes that's personal. Sometimes that's professional. Sometimes that's going to get more skills. It really depends. One of the things we always tell our, cl tell our clients is that this is a process that you can do yourself. It really is just 
redesigning your career. It's taking the skills that you have to design a building or whatever it is that you're working on and taking a few steps back and trying to understand what are the things that I value personally and professionally. What are my, you know, what's my brief? What are my go, my goes, my no goes? Can I not move? Do I want to be able to pick my kids up from school at a certain time? You know, what's your brief? And then really understanding everything that's potentially out there. I think, you know, do we do a, a deep dive into the hundreds or potentially thousands of different job titles that architects could have if it's not <laughs> just architect? It doesn't fit in the in the the pages that we've written so far. Maybe maybe that'll come later. But one of the things that we hope is that the book brings people also to our community, which we do have a job board of postings that we never take down simply because we want people to see all of the different roles that we see people in our community going into all the time. You know, what are these companies that value the skill sets of an, and the background of an architect? Things like that. So the book is, is less a how-to guide and really more so a way of like, here's what we went through and here's where we're coming from. Here's where we saw where a series of really key disconnects and why we feel that for ourselves, this is why it is. And also for the profession where we see things are, are going in a certain way, which is maybe not sustainable. And then here's five different examples of what people did about it. Awesome. And hopefully with that, it's a bit of a toolkit. Now, people may still want to come to us and, and chat, but also we're, we're thinking that it could be just, it could be very empowering just to read that and have things fire. You know, it's, it, it's very much back to the studio method of your professor will, you know, uh, say something like, Oh, well, why don't you look at, you know, La Tourette and, and come back and look at, look and see how he does the, the light wells. And, and then you're like, wow, oh man, I can't do exactly that. Or I'm not going to do exactly that, but I can totally understand and analyze the process and then reincorporate that into my design. And apologies, we come from Cornell. So a corb reference just pops up every once in a while, <laughs> but you know, the, the this idea core of, reference. Yeah. Um, you know, this idea of being able to look at what other people have done, learn from that and immediately synthesize that and apply that to yourselves. As long as you can take a step back and take yourself out of the mindset of that, like sort of fear and insecurity around, but if I'm not an architect, what am yeah. I? Freeing yourself from that and, and really just starting that process. And of course, we're always here to help. And we've hope we've been working very hard to build a community um both through social media and also a, a slack community that can be really i think you know supportive helpful and, and beneficial for people who who need it i think fear is such a big part of all of this right that people are just afraid they just don't know what to do and a book like that where they they can read case studies and be inspired by others stories um, just to see that it can be done, right? That there is a way that that your dream of taking what you've done in architecture school and through the profession can be applied in other ways and should be applied in other ways, right? It's 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 yeah. our responsibility as architects to impact the world the best we can. And sometimes that's traditional and sometimes it's not traditional. Um, and I, I applaud you for first of all, taking the action to to start the, the firm, to be there for people who are in that position. Uh, because it's no small thing. As you know, you work with these people. I'm sure you see a lot of tears when you work with people yeah. because they don't know, right? They're, they're afraid, right? My mom's going to be disappointed. I, you know, they spend a lot of money on us, right? That's a part of that conversation is how do I, how do I disappoint my family because I'm not an architect anymore, right?
I think anybody who's worried about that needs to go have a look in the Google sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, this idea that because you've invested something, you know, you're beholden to that decision forever. And I think what we see is architects can carry such a high percentage, you know, 95% of what you've learned can yeah. translate into another role, into something that's adjacent to the, you know, the traditional architectural practice that that benefits somebody and that gives you some new invigoration, um, you know, that, that that really shouldn't be the first thing on your mind. Your mom will always <laughs> love you or something to that effect. I think it's, you know, it's people understand and maybe, maybe that fear is just not knowing how to speak the language and make yes. that translation for Great. somebody. You know, I think uh, it's not that difficult to explain um, at a glance the you know the mystical behind the scenes of what an architect really does which is solve right. problems and if you go to another place where that's a part of your work it's not really lost you know my parents didn't really know what i did in architecture architecture school they don't really know what i do now they still love me they just they think i'm some sort of engineer of, <laughs> of some sort so well so i mean i think this oh go sorry. ahead Ari. no go ahead go I, I would just say that I think, you know, there's different aspects of, of fear. Um, we were not necessarily prepared for some of the super emotional conversations. Um, sometimes it's around fear. Often it's around burnout. And a yeah. lot of times it's also around like really awful injustices. We've had we've had mm -hmm. clients who've, who've come to us and they're homeless and they're working, but they're homeless because they can't afford with the salary that they're making to live in the city that they're working. Right. So I think there's a variety of different um basic needs that need to be met. And when we go back to this idea of like, if we're going to be bettering the profession and therefore bettering the world by extension, by bettering the profession, part of that starts with taking care of yourself first and respecting the the value that you bring, understanding that value. And that's on our educational institutions as well to, to talk about value more and, and understand what that is, not just from a design, but actually a concrete what is the value you bring to the problems that you're solving? Um, I did not hear the term business in architecture school. Right. I just didn't. Yes, service-based industry. People would say that when you wanted to design something really highfalutin yep. and, and you know, a critic wanted to call you out on it. But I think doing that more, it starts there. But I, I don't want to downplay some of the things that people may be grappling with, Um your listeners or people reading the book that are very real problems yeah. and, and very real fears because jobs and identities and, and income is obviously it's, it's required. And especially when you, you start to have people who depend on you, but in order to do the things that we're talking about in order to find that career fulfillment, in order to reimagine the term architect, in order to take more agency in society, it starts with taking care of yourself first um, and making sure that you, you have all the resources to do that. And that's what we're trying to at least help with in, in any way we can. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that. Before we, before we wrap up, I want to ask you the question and I ask everybody to get your take on it. Uh, we'll start with Aaron. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think if you're, if you have employees, listen to what their concerns are and their needs are and try to incorporate that in, in some way into the decisions that you make. Uh, you know, I, I run 
a small practice um, alongside my 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 other co-conspirator. Um, and it's it's a ton of it's constantly difficult decisions. And I totally understand that. And there's a lot of uncertainty coming. But um, I think if you look around, not just at your your partner, or your principal level, but also at, at people who are under you and, and look at them as potential collaborators in the problems that you're trying to solve, it becomes a lot less lonely, even if it doesn't always result in in you know, the immediate outcome that, that you want, at least you have the the coalition and the minds and the values of, of those who are working with you um, at the table to help. And I, I think that's one hard lesson I've had to learn because um, I was always like, I could do it myself. I don't need anybody. But I think listening and, and soliciting the advice of, of others um, to better inform the decisions that you make will will always at least allow you to be more engaged and more informed and hopefully lead you down the, the right path. I do think this idea of uh, specialization is something that a lot of architects are really afraid of. This idea that you might be pursuing a really strong niche um, and that you might be marketing for, you know, or missing out on uh, some some grand project because you just really enjoy doing you know, bowling alleys, let's say someone else at coffee shops, which I think is a great, uh, a great one. You know, you could be the best coffee shop designer and, you know, you might feel like, well, there's not that, that many coffee shops near me, but having this unique specialization, um, is something that I think small firms can benefit from extremely. Um, and I would in- encourage that. I also, have a pretty strong opinion about the fact that larger firms should be focused on specializing their workforces and allowing people to really focus on work they enjoy rather than spreading architects across the entire process. Uh, but that's probably a conversation for another We can podcast. come back. <laughs> I love talking to you guys. So we can do this over and over again. Oh, and we love talking to you. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So Ellen Pellegrino and Jake Rudin, the the firm and the book is called Out of Architecture. If you are in this position, if this this podcast episode resonates with you, if you're feeling something now and you're shaking your head throughout this podcast, reach out to them. Go to outofarchitecture.com. They have a free, right? Free first conversation, whatever, yep. right? Free first first evaluation or whatever you call it. I forget what you called it, but it's free. So go there, reach out to them. They'll say hi. You can you know, share your fears, share your thoughts. Like, I don't know what to do. They'll help you. So check it out, outofarchitecture.com. You'll you also can learn all about their services there. You can learn about their book. They, they even do a salary negotiation service. I love that when I saw that. Yes. <laughs> they will negotiate your salary for you, and then they take a percentage of that salary increase, which I think is genius. So it doesn't even <laughs> cost you anything. It just you're going to get a salary increase. Awesome. So they have all kinds of services there. They can help you um, out of architecture.com. You can get the book there. If you want to learn more about what Aaron's doing at Studio Matter, it's studio-matter.com. And you can connect to both Jake and Aaron on LinkedIn. Uh, Aaron and Jake, I appreciate you for the work that you're doing. You are shifting the world by uh, shifting the profession. You are, you are making the world a better place through the work that you're doing with architects. Um, there needs to be more of you out there doing what you do, not only inspiring architects to be beyond what they felt they could do, um, but to, to shift the profession, right? To make the profession bigger than it is. What you are doing and what I am doing and what others are doing does not hurt the profession. 
right? It helps the profession, it grows the profession. If you can take architects and push them beyond the traditional architecture firm, you're actually making the world so much better and reinforcing the profession. And so I thank you both very much for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Mark. And I will just say that there are more of us. We have now grown to about five advisors. Um, and we are always happy to talk to people who are interested in uh, supporting the community. So if there are people, and you've had podcast guests who would make fantastic mentors to, uh, to people who are in that position of uh, questioning or struggle. Um, and we are so grateful for the opportunity to be able to support all of these people. So, um, no, thank you for uh, for the platform that you've created for having us on. And yeah, special thanks to, you know, to also to all our clients who are brave enough to kind of come to us and, and share this information and then allow us to jump on a podcast and talk about it, so. Yeah. It's awesome. Thanks, thanks for the work that you do. And thanks to you for, uh, for coming by here and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, share a link with a friend. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Please share a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I'd appreciate it. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. It's the network dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at Gable Media at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Go check it out. We have, I think, 13 podcasts over there now. Gablemedia.com. And before we wrap up, a special thank you to our partners, at Graphisoft for helping our community of architects make the transition to BIM with ARCHICAD software. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioning to help make your architecture firm a success. Visit graphisoft.com slash US slash Architect to learn more. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage. Love, learn, and go share what you know.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.